For anyone that is joining us for the first time, or maybe you've only managed to uh, attend one or two of the last few weeks series, we are in the middle of this, well actually, sorry, we're not in the middle, we're nearly at the end. We're wrapping it up next week. Some of, for some of you, that's good news. For others, that may be disappointing. Um, but, but we've been taking a look at, at some of the principles around sowing and reaping and how we believe God wants to form us and develop us and mature us in all the significant areas of our lives as we position ourselves through uh, practices, places, and people. So we sow into our practices. We sow into important places that help us to actually connect with God. And we sow into what we're looking at today into people, into relationships. Relationships matter. Some of you are familiar with what is, what is almost becoming a cliche nowadays, but it's just so true. The statement from Craig Rochelle that if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. It matters. It is significant. We were created to be relational people, relational beings. And, and whether we like it or not, because sometimes it's not pleasant, sometimes we don't like it, but whether we like it or not, I'm here to tell you that God 100% absolutely uses people to help mature us, to help form us. Sometimes that's comfortable and encouraging. Other times it's immensely uncomfortable and frustrating. Again, for those of you that are married or have been married, maybe you can relate to what I'm about to say, where I, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married. And, I, and then I was amazed at how really, really selfish I was when we had children. Like, like it's amazing how being in, in a consistent, committed relationship where you don't get to ignore one another and escape one another and write one another off, all of a sudden you realize this isn't just about what, what they're doing to frustrate or challenge you. You realize, hopefully, as you mature, that actually says a lot about what is, being, what is in me, what is being brought up out of me. Relationships are used. God uses relationships to form us. I've often used the language of revelation, relationships, and responsibility to describe what I think God has used in my life to, to keep me anchored and, and hopefully moving forward. There is a supernatural revelation that we can't compensate for. God is kind and gracious and, and reveals himself to us. Yet, I find that God uses people to help almost provide glue and an anchor and to, and to keep us planted and, and growing. And especially when we get discouraged or disillusioned or we're dealing with mystery and, and confusion and curiosity. And responsibility is just where, where actually we are responsible for more than just ourselves. And so there's more at stake than just ourselves. But today we're taking a look at the role of people, which I'm gonna try and do very briefly. I'm apologizing up front that, that we're scratching the surface on each of these examples, places, practices, people, each one of them could be a very lengthy series all on their own, so please do bear with me, but try and catch the heart behind this. Just before I do go into some of the practical stuff, I wanna I want just give us a little bit of perspective and a little bit of feedback that is outside of the Bible. What I mean by that is that I believe that secular research, experts, and artists are confirming what the Bible says about how we need one another. I found this story some time ago in a book by John Tyson called The Burden is Light. He says that a 63-year-old woman sits in the modest chair in the middle of the room. In front of her is a small table. On the opposite side of the table is an empty chair. A young man walks to the center of the room and sits in the empty chair. He's visibly nervous and fidgets with his hands. The woman lifts her head and opens her eyes and makes eye contact with the young man. They hold each other's gaze 
After about four minutes, the man's body has become still and tears begin to flow. The woman looks back and tears flow down her face as well. The man offers the slightest of smiles at this recognition of his humanity. And then he gets up and leaves. Something seems to have changed in him. The woman bows her head again. Not a word has been spoken. Then a middle-aged woman enters the room and takes the vacant seat. From the 14th of March until the 31st of May 2010, controversial performance artist Marina Abramovich repeated this ritual with 1,541 people over a period of 736 hours. This performance, held at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, was entitled, The Artist is Present. Abramovich's intention was to host a living protest against the lack of connection in our society and offer a place for profound human contact. Word began to spread to the people of New York that in a city of crowded loneliness, a place had emerged where you could be truly seen. This experiment revealed in the human heart a primal longing for the gift of presence, the ache of connection. I remember a friend several years ago sharing very honestly and vulnerably how he would even consider, was even tempted to pay a prostitute just to hold him. Think about what that reveals about the ache for human interaction, for the ache of belonging, being real, being noticed. Sherry Turkle is an exceptionally highly regarded professor at MIT University. She's a psychologist and an expert researcher since the 1970s on the effects of technology and society. She's written at least four landmark studies on the relationship with our digital culture. One of them, I just like the, just the, the name of one of her books, is Alone Together, Why We Expect More From Technology and Less From Each Other. Why We Expect More From Technology and Less From another, Each Other. In other words, in, a, in an age in human history where there is more connectedness than ever before, there is more isolation, in my opinion, than ever before. There is more human loneliness. Henry Cloud, very well-known psychologist, some of you are familiar with him, in his book, The Power of the Other, talks about the, the in some cases, life and death need for children, for babies when they were born, to actually be held, to be, to be physically nurtured. Scans will actually reveal, in some cases, black spots on their brain where neurons have not fired together because of that lack of connection. There's a term that's literally called a failure to thrive, when there is an insufficient amount of physical contact. He goes on to say that these kids are trying to meet as they get older. I mean, he, he basically explains how this accounts for so many challenges in their behavior later on, and how these kids are trying to meet the demands of reality without the circuitry needed to do so. And the reason they have lost these limits is the lack of relationship, of human connection. Mother Teresa, many years ago, said that loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. 
for the first time ever, a minister of loneliness was appointed in the United Kingdom in 2018. Part of the responsibility was to try and address the increasing epidemic of loneliness in the United Kingdom. The UK's Office for National Statistics found that 16 to 24 year olds reported feeling more lonely than pensioners between the ages of 65 to 74. In Japan, lonely deaths among the elderly actually have a name. Kodokushi. Like, like there's, it's, actually, it's actually been recognized with a name. People that are dying lonely. A 2010 survey suggested that more than one third of American citizens over the age of 45 feel lonely. Former US Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review in 2017 arguing that loneliness was a growing health epidemic, and he wasn't just being metaphorical, he went on to say that social isolation is associated with the reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and can be associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. In other words, people matter. Relationships matter. We live in a world where it has never been easier to live isolated but deceive ourselves into thinking we're connected, where we are settling for a counterfeit, where we're settling for some type of placebo, where we think, we think we're connected, but in so many cases, there isn't this real, true, life-giving connection that God intended. So the point I'm trying to make is that secular researchers, scientists, psychologists, and artists are ultimately, and governments are ultimately agreeing with the first and only thing that God said was not good during the period of creation. Everything else was good until we read Genesis 20, uh, chapter two, verse 18, which says that the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. People matter. Relationships matter. There are things that God has designed, created us to enjoy and to benefit from and to grow through and with that cannot be compensated for outside of people, outside of relationships. Some of us are tempted to think that if I can just grow in my thinking and understanding, if I can just grow in my knowledge, that it'll be enough. I'm telling you, it's not. You can try and live in a cave, live in a vacuum, grow in your intellect, but if we are not willing to to make ourselves vulnerable, to slowly but surely be known and know others and take the risk of being loved even though we're known, even though we're not as perfect as we'd like to be. Outside of that, you may grow in your knowledge, intellect, academic ability, but we cannot be people of love. And being a person of love is ultimately what enjoying a relationship with God is all about. It's about loving God, and loving people, and by the way, I would argue that it's not only loving God and loving people, it is allowing ourselves to be loved by God and allowing ourselves to be loved by people. 
That, might, that first story might sound a little bit dramatic about this artist meeting up with strangers, but it does speak to an inner ache. And I think that there are so many Christians that are still sitting with that ache because we don't take the time to slow down and allow ourselves to look at God looking at us with love. It changes something. And by the way, again, I'll take it a step further, allowing ourselves to risk being loved by other people. And it is a risk, make no mistake. The, the more we are willing to be vulnerable, the more we are giving people something to hurt us with. That's what vulnerability is, plain and simple. If you're not giving somebody something that they can hold and, and hurt you with, then we're not being vulnerable. Maybe you're being transparent. <laughs> Maybe you're allowing someone to see something that is true of you, but vulnerability is when I share something with you that you can use to actually hurt me. The main text for our series has been Galatians chapter six, verse seven to nine. Let me read it one more time. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Not where he sows, what he sows. So by the way, when it comes to relationships, you might feel like, well, you know, I've tried, nothing's worked out. I would encourage you to keep on being a friend. Keep on caring for others. Keep on blessing others, praying for others, being kind to others. It doesn't say that you'll reap where you sow. It might not be those same people, but I promise you that you'll reap what you sow. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary. Let us not become weary. Let us not get tired. Let us not give up doing what is good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We have said repeatedly throughout the series that our goal is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if he were me, and that we believe that we do that by positioning ourselves through practices, places, and people to be formed by God. And practically speaking, our goal, our ultimate goal, is to help us experiment with something called the rule of life, which we'll go into a little bit more detail about next week in our final conclusive message. The reason for this is because we, as followers of Jesus, will want to grow in loving God and loving people. We will. That should be one of the biggest alarm bells for us if we don't know when last we felt motivated to grow in loving God and loving people. That's the alarm bell in terms of where we are. So it's not just that we need people, we do. But where this shifts a little bit from maybe what secular research and, and opinions might offer is that, is that it also matters who you give that relationship to, who, who you give that influence to. I wanna be abundantly clear. I'm not suggesting for a moment that you be vulnerable with a lot of people. That's, that's kind of like, like the most narrow of relationships where over time people have built trust and you've learned to entrust maybe one or two or three people with, with those things that matter to us most dearly. But, but we can still start at a starting point where we are allowing ourselves to be around people and hopefully to also be someone that can actually help one another grow. So let me ask you this question. The people that you have around you right now, and if you don't have people around you, then, then, then the, the digital people that you have around you, because we have people around us. Whether we live in a digital sphere or whether we're living in the real world, we are giving people influence in our lives, correct? 
the things we watch, the news we read, the social media we scroll through, or the people that we have conversations with and meals with, one way or another, we're giving people influence in our lives. So here's the question. Are the people that you're giving influence to in your life, are they forming you or deforming you? Are they helping us to be formed into the image of Christ or are they deforming us into the image of our enemy? The Bible is clear in many, many passages, but examples of Proverbs 13 verse 20, that if we walk with the wise, we will become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. It is very rare, whether you're at school or whether, or whether you, in, you know, engaged in, in some kind of criminal, it's very rare, it happens, but it's very rare that it happens in a vacuum. There's almost always people around, other knuckleheads, that are just, you know, you're helping each other go down a self-destructive path. I love the way the message translation or paraphrase puts this, become wise by walking with the wise, hang out with fools, and watch your life fall to pieces. All right. Our relationships forming or deforming us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. If your parents ever said that to you, they're right, okay? Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. The Passion Translation puts that verse like this. So stop fooling yourselves. Evil companions will corrupt good morals and character. You can be, so, so, so especially if I'm thinking of younger people, although I think this is valid actually across, across the age spectrum, you can be a friend to people that don't share your moral compass and, and character, yes. But be very careful who you give influence to in terms of, and, and only you know if you can be a friend to this person without them being an influence on you. Chances are, that's very hard. So, so it, it all depends on how much of your heart, how much of your influence you're giving away to those people. And if you're giving people influence, and if you're not sure, ask those that are closest to you. Hey, do you think these people are good for me? Don't normally come back like in a healthier space or... Anyway, guys, for time's sake, please allow me just to quickly scan over three, three kind of layers or levels. This is just a reference point. We'll, I think we'll have to do a series on this at some stage in a great deal more detail because we are made to be relational. Yet... I think it should scare us, those of you that have been around church for a long time, it should scare us how easy it is for so many people to be in so much of church, in life group, even serving, even having a quiet time, but never really maturing in their relationships with other people. Guys, that should terrify us. Because if the way I'm spending time with God doesn't change the way I spend time with people, I need to change the way I spend time with God. It is not about knowledge. The people with the most knowledge crucified Jesus. Get over that idea that it's if I just know more or understand more. I do wanna know more and understand more, just to be clear, but that's, that can't be what I'm looking to. I've gotta to look to my application, to the obedience. Am I actually loving other people? So if you've been around, you've heard me say this before, we look at three levels that we refer to as face-to-face, heart-to-heart, and back-to-back, face-to-face, heart-to-heart, back-to-back. That refers to where we share facts, feelings, and I'll unpack what we mean by formation. So just very quickly, face-to-face is kind of like these relationships that are very wide, it's, it's somewhat superficial, um, it's, it's shooting the breeze, it's, it's, uh, it's, just, it's just talking about stuff. You, you're addressing facts, it's the weather, it's sports, it's, you know, are you happy that 
Verstappen won the Grand Prix or you felt that Lewis was robbed. Uh, you know, wh whatever. Um, it's, it's, it's just stuff, okay? It's, it's facts, it's sports, it's, I don't know, whatever. It's, and, and, I want to, and I want to suggest that that's actually a really important space. I don't want us to think that that doesn't matter. Of course that matters. That's, that's the broadest scope. You know the song, Make the Circle Bigger? Make the circle bigger, make the circle bigger. Like, we need a bigger circle, okay? Um, and guys, as a community, as a church, we absolutely want to make the circle bigger. So, so we, don't want to, we don't want to have closed clicks. There may, you may have one or two people where there is a closed circle of trust. But, but, but on this level, guys, let's, let's, let's make it as open as possible. Don't assume, and I'm just talking practically even on a Sunday, don't assume that just because you see the same person regularly that they're connected. And don't assume that because you see two people together that they're connected, they're probably married or in a relationship and can feel incredibly lonely. The person who was ultimately the catalyst for starting this church many years ago, some of you would remember, was Dr. Bill Hennessy. He was a, a missionary serving at a local Bible college. He landed up serving on our, on our eldership at, at what was kind of like our original ascending church at Tableview. But he lived in Millerton Ridge, and I remember him saying to us, guys, my kids can grow up here. Like, like kids can grow up in our area and never see a church. Why don't we consider planting a church in Anyway, he, and he was able to help lead the first six months of that. So this, this person, who was a strong Christian, highly educated, he had a PhD, what, what changed for him, what, what was a tipping point for him, was they were attending our church. So this was still back at table. I'm talking, I don't know, more than 15 years ago, 16, 17 years ago. Him and his family, I think they have four or five kids. They've gone back to the States since then. And they were attending for six months, and no one had ever connected with them. Think about it, that's a big family, okay? Like, like there's a level of courage needed. Anyway, I remember him saying that there was a day, there was the last day that they went to church. We, we, I don't know if he was just saying this to himself, or saying this to God, like if no one connects with us today, like we're done, we're finding another church. And Carol Blake's parents went and introduced themselves to them. Warren Evelyn Hill, and I think they've invited them over for coffee or a meal or something like that. And we're all sitting here today because someone was willing to have a face-to-face, -face just, and it would have, I imagine it would have been a superficial conversation. I'm looking at Anne LaRuffer at the back over there. Anne and Mike were also a part of the beginnings of this church and served for so many years before that at Tableview. When Sue, who I don't think was even following Jesus at the time, first experimented with life group. Now we're talking 20, like, I don't know, 25 years, 24, three, 24 years ago. Someone invited her to life group. Mike happened to be there. Sue said something about having come straight from work and that she was hungry. Without even asking or saying anything, Mike got in the car. Did he go to McDonald's? He didn't know Sue was a vegetarian at the time. Thank you, Jesus, she's not a vegetarian anymore. <laughs> and, and went and bought some food. Next thing Sue knows, he has a, he has a I don't know what it was, a Happy Meal, whatever the case is. Did that mean something to you? Guys, that's just being, that's just making the circle bigger. And we need that. Again, we could do a whole series on this and I've got a whole bunch of quotes. We're gonna have to move on. The notes are on you version, okay? 
Heart to heart is where, is where we're, we're a little bit more cautious. Heart to heart is where we start to risk a little bit more. I'm not saying that there isn't a risk on the first level. Many would argue that there is. We're living in a day and age where, um, where and again, I mentioned Sherry Turkle earlier. She has, she's done research with college-age students, with university-age students, and how people are terrified to even have face-to-face -face interaction because they cannot curate what they're going to answer. There's, there's a risk of not being able to first think about and edit. It's so much easier on a WhatsApp, on social media. You can, you can come on, all of it. Hey, you write it out, you're like, oh, that sounds stupid. Maybe, okay, 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 okay. And we, and we can so edit, so curate the version of ourselves that we want people to see that even just face-to-face, facts-based stuff is terrifying for a lot of people. So I'm not, I'm, not under, I'm not diminishing how intimidating and important that is for us as well. Yes, there's risk involved. But I would argue that risking not doing it. So I, I'm saying there's a risk either way. So you can either risk being embarrassed, risk people knowing that you're imperfect, risk. So in a church context, we've, we've said to our, our team over the years so many times, like you can risk being embarrassed going up to a new person and introducing yourselves and the conversation's awkward, which does happen occasionally. Thank you very much if you make it awkward. Okay, that does happen. <laughs> but worst case scenario, it was awkward. What if you don't? Obey that prompting when you notice someone. And the angels don't have to shout down from heaven, okay? The, the, the sky doesn't have to part. It can just be that you notice someone. Is that not maybe God helping you notice someone? The risk of not going to someone and just introducing yourself, just saying hello. What if that is the last time that they were giving the church and God a chance? I'm saying that we're risking so much more. Or, or on a personal level, risking only wanting people to see this curated version of yourself, this, this, this edited version of yourself. The risk of not letting some people know you just a little bit more. In my opinion, you're risking implosion, destruction, living a very, very isolated life. So when I talk about heart to heart and sharing our feelings, yes, that is getting a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more personal. And now you're not just talking about Max and Lewis, you're actually saying, I'm angry. It's unjust. Okay, that's still very superficial. But anyway, that, that, that's where you start to share a little bit more about, about what's happening in your life, how you feel about what's happening in your life. And we take the risk of vulnerability. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, says that fellowship is a place of grace where mistakes are not rubbed in, but rubbed out. Fellowship happens when mercy wins over justice. And so that, that is why, if you're a Christian, if you're here today, it matters how safe you and I make it for people to share their feelings. Why do we think that we have to agree about everything to accept and value someone? Acceptance and, and, and agreement are not the same thing. If you're a parent, there's no way that you, that you accept everything your kids do. If so, you're in trouble. That's why you're the parent. But you, sorry, you don't agree with everything they do, but you accept them. You love them. You value them. You don't limit them to a, a point of behavior. We need to create safe places for vulnerability where people can remove the mask. Justin uh, Woodmore early in his book, The Common Rule, says that vulnerability and time turn people who have a relationship into people who have a friendship. That's what friendship is. It's vulnerability across time. 
And I can tell you that the people that I am the most vulnerable with, and I get vulnerable with people, like it'd be, you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd find it awkward how vulnerable I will get with people. But there are people where trust has been formed over time. It has taken time. You'll, you give them something to hold and, and they hold it with value and respect and don't use it against you, you trust them a little bit more. They give you something to hold and you handle it with trust and respect and mercy and grace and, and over time. And when I say time, I'm not just talking like a few weeks or months. I'm talking, the people that I'm the most wrong with, I've known them for years and years and years and years and years. Anyway, I wish I could unpack this a little bit more. Lastly, Sorry, let me, I do wanna read this one passage quickly. Proverbs 27, verse 17. says that as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So please don't believe the lie that to have a healthy relationship, we just, we just make each other feel good all the time. You can be a friend to someone's feelings or you can be a friend to someone's future. But trust has to have been formed if you're gonna try and be a friend to the future and and have some, you know, tough conversations. Anyway, lastly, the worship team can come on up just so that everyone's encouraged and secure that we are bringing this into land. And those of you that are gonna get baptized will have a chance to go and get dressed. But this last one about back-to-back is about formation. So if face-to-face, in fact, is about being wide and, and making the circle bigger, if heart-to-heart is about feelings and being a little bit more cautious, then back-to-back is about formation and it's about being committed. This does require commitment. This isn't a wishy-washy, loosey-goosey, uh, I pop into life group now and then, I go to church every now and then. No, no, th- this, is, this is outside of a program. This is outside of a group. This is outside of, I mean, it might happen at group, but, but this is where you're actually committed to one another. This, this might be going a little bit far, but I wonder, I, I, I mean this sincerely. I'm not wondering this like, like, you know, I actually believe this. No, I'm wondering, I have a serious question over whether or not there isn't a place for a covenant, a covenantal type of relationship where you, where you actually come to a peace that God has put you together and you fight for each other's futures regardless. Whether you like each other in that moment or not, whether you agree with everything in that moment or not. Myself and a couple of friends, Man, we're at a point where, where I feel like we are fighting for each other. We are fighting for each other's families. I'm praying for their marriages. I'm praying for their children. Praying for their futures. Praying for their protection. Guys, we can't do this life alone. But without doing anonymous surveys, my opinion, my fear, my conviction is that not, not just a portion, My fear is that the vast majority of people don't even persevere long enough to even just get into sharing some feelings, let alone getting to a place of formation where where we are naked and unashamed. We're not proud of failure, we're not proud of mistakes, but, but, but there's safety. And I can't help but think, just by the way, I'm very mindful that for some people, and it's not just guys, I think that they've, I think that people from all walks of life might listen to what I'm saying and think that sounds very feely-feely and very, hey, if you're, if you're in a war or if your house is being attacked and your neighbor is your friend, you stand back to back. 
You fight the enemy together. You have people having the blind spots that you can't see. There's nothing wishy-washy or soft about that. No, no, you want someone to have your back. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12 says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Make no mistake, you are way more vulnerable if you're living life alone, if you're isolated, okay? The enemy, a predator doesn't attack the weakest sheep, it attacks the loneliest sheep, the most isolated sheep. So you can be really weak, but you're in the middle of the pack, you're good. You can be, re- you can be freaking Godzilla sheep, okay? Sheepzilla. If you're alone, you're gonna be attacked. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And then if you go back a couple of verses, verse nine says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other. It's like, duh. We can help each other. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. And let me tell you something. In, in my little triad where we have each other's backs, each one of us have had seasons where one is falling and the others are picking up. And then another season where, where someone else is struggling and we're picking up. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Guys, we need one another. We are made for relationship. It's not a luxury. This isn't from your granny. This is from God. He wants us to grow healthy, to grow whole, to be protected. And I'm so mindful, I'm so aware that for many people, there have been hurts and there have been disappointments. All I can encourage you to do is try again. And you'll hear us say this again and again. This is our mantra in this church. Start where you, not where you. Start where you are, not where you wanna be. If we've failed you, if we've disappointed you, I'm sorry, I apologize. But try it. Just take a first step, introduce yourself to someone, invite someone over for a coffee or, okay, maybe that's dodgy, meet someone somewhere for coffee, I don't know. Or join a life group, join a team. Guys, I'm just telling you, I had serious encounters with God that changed my life. As someone in my first year out of school, but I promise you, No, my phone is off so that they won't happen. I don't know. I, that's, that's scary. Flipping Siri. I've, I've had to think through this many times. If it wasn't for the people, I got connected to purpose, so through, so, so through teams, just, just joining, just getting involved, just helping out wherever it was, was necessary, and through that, met people, connected with people. I know I met with God but I'm equally convinced that God knew that I needed people around me. Now, that shifted over time. It was like the honeymoon was over. He picked me up, put me in another place where I felt like I'd left God behind in South Africa and I had to learn to live with Australians and, all the, and it was just hectic and that matured me in a different way. But I'm t- I, I, all I can tell you is that in 27 years of trying to serve God, 
I wouldn't be here without people. I wouldn't be here without risking vulnerability. There's too much at stake. I would rather risk someone not respecting me than risk my relationship with God. That's what's at, that's what's at stake, everybody. So Father, in Jesus' name, please would you apply this message to each one of us in whatever unique place we find ourselves in. God, please give us discernment, help us to be self-aware in terms of the season that we're in, that we wouldn't compare to someone else, that we wouldn't feel like it's one size fits all, but that we would be willing to start where we are, not where we wanna be. And that we would be willing to let people know us as less perfect than we'd like to be. That we would risk being known and maybe being loved anyway, because that is the gospel. That is the gospel, that's why we're here. Jesus knows us and loves us anyway. You know all our weaknesses, all our failures, all our imperfections, and you love us anyway. You made a way for us to have a relationship with the Father through dying on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be loved anyway. God, please would you help us to recognize what that next step is and help us to be deliberate. Help us not to drift, help us to be deliberate with whatever that next step is. In Jesus' name I pray. And God, for people that are here today that that have not taken that first step in the most important relationship, which is with you. Then God, I pray that right now, you would help them to recognize where you've been drawing, where you've been inviting, where you've been reaching out, where you have been trying to reveal how much you love them. God, would you help them to understand that there's nothing that they can do to save themselves? to make you love them more. We can only respond. God, for people that are wanting to follow you and walk in a relationship with you, would you help them to say yes to Jesus today in Jesus' name? Help them to say yes to that gift of forgiveness and help them to say yes to following you one step at a time, one day at a time, exactly where they are and help them to go all in. Help them just to go all in, not to dip a toe, but to just go all in and dare to trust you as they allow your current to take them where you wanna take them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.